Well, all right. Uh, just a reminder, there's some outlines that uh, are in the seats in the in-between rows if you want to grab one of those as we uh, dive into the Word uh, together this morning. You've probably heard us say a number of times that the Christian life is a connected life, right? And um, we are on a gospel-grounded mission to cultivate connected followers of Christ. That's our mission as a church. And we talk about that cultivating in five different ways. You can actually see it up here on this panel. Upward with God, backward with our story, withward with the body, inward with our gifting, and then outward with the mission. That is a portrait of a connected life. And by the way, these are new panels we just got up this week, thanks to David Wilkinson and Kevin Perry for getting those done and getting them up there. They'll be a great reminder to us as we make our way through this series. As a part of the portrait, we typically will focus on one of those connections each year for 12 months and really dig down into that. So this next year, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago at Vision Sunday, we're going to be focusing inward with our gifting. So if you'll look over here, you'll see that um, we believe this wholeheartedly. As we connect inward with our gifting, we discover the unique part God has called each of us to play in life, both inside the church, in our homes, with our neighbors, in the workplace. Everywhere we go, the ways that God has gifted us enables us to engage in redemptive ways. So it's going to be a great, great year. We're really looking forward to it. We're kicking off our focus with a four-week series. Jeff launched it last week. We've titled it Regifting, Giving Away What Was Given to Us. And we're learning what that looks like in the realm of spiritual gifts. Now, we want you to know that we're beginning this series with a very, very important, it's simple, but it's important, a biblical assertion. Here it is. Every believer has been given a gift. Every single one of us. So if you're in this room, if you have entrusted your life to Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, if you are in relationship with God, 100% you have a spiritual gift. You may not know what it is. That may be a completely foreign idea to you, and that's okay. That's why we're doing this series. But just know that is the truth. Here's a couple of biblical uh, references for that. 1 Corinthians 7, 7, um, Paul writes, Each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Each one, that's including everybody. Then in chapter 12, he says, all these gifts, so he listed a number of spiritual gifts, and then he says, all of these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions or gives to each one, each one, not just a few of us, and he does that individually as he wills. And then in 1 Peter 4.10 Peter writes, as each has received a gift, so he's assuming that everybody who's receiving his letter, who has entrusted their life to Christ, he's talking to them. So he's saying, as each one of you has received a gift, use it to serve. And honestly, that's where we're going to be going over these next 12 months, because there is a direct connection 
between our gifting and how we serve. Those two things go hand in hand all the way through. Now, last week, Jeff uh, answered our first question, what are spiritual gifts? He introduced us to a number of key passages that we can go to to learn about the names of the gifts and then also how they might be organized or categorized, um, just some ways of thinking about it. Uh, There were two big categories, if you weren't here last week, that we want to keep in mind. These are the biggest umbrellas over our spiritual gifts that we'll want to to keep in perspective. One is speaking gifts. The other is serving gifts. So again, Jeff gave us a long list of a lot of gifts that are mentioned in a number of different uh, passages. All of those can fall under one of those two categories, speaking and serving. That idea comes out of 1 Peter 4. Let me read this to you, and this is going to be a a great foundational passage for us as we go through the morning. Beginning in verse 10, as each has received a gift, just mentioned that, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, there's the first one, as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we see our two categories mentioned there, speaking and serving. Notice that Peter makes his way from who? Each who have received a gift, right? To what, the speaking and the serving, and then to why, glorifying God. And that's really where we're going to spend a lot of our time today. We're asking and answering the question, why do we have spiritual gifts? To summarize what Peter says there, every believer has received spirit-enabled capacity to say and do things for others which genuinely enhances their spiritual, physical, and emotional well-being. Now, I know that's a mouthful, but the idea is that you and I can say and do things because of the operational power that's going on inside of us. We can actually say and do things which enhances another person's life. And not just kind of making them have a better day, although that could happen, We're talking about having a better life. Jesus talked about eternal life, abundant life. That's associated with the ministry we have with each other. We're cultivating that together with our gifts. Now, um, Tim Keller organizes the gift under three big expressions. And I actually thought this was really helpful to take that long list of all the the different types of gifts, and he puts them in three big categories. Prophetic gifts, priestly gifts, and kingly gifts. You've heard of the prophet, priest, and king, right? So he, he organizes them that way, and he says the prophetic gifts are really about articulating truth. So if we think about any of the gifts that are communication gifts, primarily, those would fall under the prophetic. Priestly gifts really orient themselves around applying care, applying care to one another in, in 
a number of different ways. And that's really all about compassion. And then lastly, the kingly gifts are about exercising leadership. Exercising leadership, which is really providing direction. So here's what I did. I took Tim Keller's three big expressions. I took the list that Jeff gave us last week, and I put them underneath those headings so that you could kind of begin to to see where the gifts might land as they relate to either prophetic, priestly, or kingly. We did say last week that uh, the, the list that Jeff provided for you, this list, we don't consider that to be exhaustive. There could be some spiritual gifts that aren't listed in the scriptures. So we don't want to be dogmatic about that. But we also want to say we're safest saying for sure that the gifts that are listed in the Bible, that those are the gifts. Does that make sense? Um, We just don't want to limit it there. God may have some other things that he's doing that weren't explicitly mentioned in the scriptures. So those are just some helpful categories, taking what Jeff gave us last week and moving toward even greater clarity. So our second question then is, why do we have these gifts? We know what they are now. Why do we have them? And it's interesting, the world gives us some purposes for having these gifts. See if these sound familiar. The first is pleasure. Basically, our own entertainment or our own enjoyment. Think of it like having a great toy. The world would say, if God's given you some gifts, well, that ought to be something that you kind of have fun playing with. It's for your enjoyment. But secondly, uh, gifts are for power. You can begin to use the gifting that God gives you to leverage power, which power is really about control, isn't it? It's about keeping everything the way I want it to be. So I might use my spiritual gifts to do that. We actually see that, very unfortunately, in ministry, don't we? Power struggles. Thirdly, the world might suggest that spiritual gifting is for popularity, In other words, if I can really display my gifting in winsome and amazing ways, you'll like me. You'll think I'm really something. You might applaud or affirm me, which is really all about significance. We all want significance. And I don't know that there's anything really wrong with that. But is our spiritual gifting, is that really the place to go to get our significance? Probably not. Lastly, prosperity. Um, We certainly see people within uh, professing Christian communities that link spiritual gifting with gaining prosperity, health, and wealth. That that's really the purpose for God giving it to us so that we can have a healthy, wealthy life. I want you to notice that the world links giftedness with personal advancement, personal gain. And really, that's the complete opposite of what the scriptures tell us uh, are God's purposes for giving us gifts. Actually, the Bible links giftedness with advancing God's agenda, not our own. It's a huge difference, completely different. Now, it's interesting, in the Old Testament, we get a little bit of a glimpse. It's like it previews what will be a fuller expression of gifting in the New Testament, but One example, there are several, but Exodus 31, you might just jot that down. Um, Israel, 
under the leadership of Moses, they were commanded by God to create a temple where worship within the nation of Israel would take place. Now listen to these words with gifting in mind. Exodus 31, 1-6. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, son of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. Why? To devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach. Wow, those are some great names. Of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. So to, to simplify that, God has a plan. Think of it like a blueprint. His plan is to use men and women to achieve that. So he gives them very specific gifts that will enable them to do exactly what he wants done. Now that's with a physical structure. But it's a great template, it's a great picture for what God expects. And you're going to see this as we go through the purposes from the New Testament. You're going to see how that works its way out. I want to highlight one thing in particular. He says, I have given to all able men ability. Well, if they're able men, don't they already have ability? That's a huge deal. Being able just in the flesh... Having abilities is not the same as exercising spiritual gifting or spiritual enablement. And here's what it's all about. It's about achieving what God wants, not what we want. You'll see that, I think, bear out as we go. So, back to this question. Why do we have spiritual gifts? We have four purposes that we're going to look at today. Um, certainly there are others, but I think these are our primary purposes for having spiritual gifts from the Scriptures. The first is to display the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. To display the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Now, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? That You have to start there. Gifting accompanies the presence of the Spirit. Those things are never separated. So we first have to to see biblically that God's Spirit dwells in us. Very clear from Paul in 1 Corinthians 3. Then in chapter 12, as he's talking about gifts, Paul writes this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So you see this great diversity of gifts and activities, ministries that are taking place. There is one Spirit who seems to be activating all of that. 
empowering all that, enabling all of that. And that's that word empower. Literally, the word uh, is derived from the idea of works. Like the Spirit causes things to work. He not only gives gifts, he alone causes them to achieve their redemptive aim. So again, God's activity isn't just to make yours and my life easier, better, more comfortable, more convenient. God is about redemption. God is about undoing the curse from the fall in Genesis 3. So wherever he is working, that's his aim. Works... Spiritual gifts are all about achieving that same purpose, that same aim. So, it's the Spirit of God that empowers those gifts. And the power experienced by those who encounter spiritual gifts, that serves to reveal the presence of the Holy Spirit. We know that because of this word manifestation. Manifestation. That literally means disclosure. Or reveal. So the purpose of the Spirit living in a believer and causing works to achieve redemptive aims, the whole purpose there is to unveil the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That is why, one of the reasons why, we're given those gifts. So think of these ideas all tied together. Spiritual gifts first of all, engage the gifted. So if you have a gift, that gift allows you to participate, to engage in the ministry that God has. But secondly, those spiritual gifts enrich the needy. So there's a recipient on the other side, and it's not the one who has the gift. It's the other one that they're serving. So it engages the gifted, it enriches the needy, and then it unveils the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. It really is meant to highlight for a watching world the very presence of God in our midst. That's one of the reasons that we're given spiritual gifts. Um, I like a, a statement that Sam Storms, he's a pastor and a the theologian, um, he really stresses the normality of spiritual gifting. Now, when you hear that, that phrase, spiritual gifting, we usually think kind of wow kind of stuff, right? Spectacular, miraculous, all of that. I just love, he, he makes it very normalized. He says, experiencing the power of God, the Holy Spirit, is not an exceptional, rare, or sporadic phenomenon. Or maybe it shouldn't be. But it is intended by God to be the routine, ordinary, daily reality in the life of all believers, regardless of their education, social standing, financial status, or role in the church. I hope that excites you. It may convict you. You may look at your daily life and just go, you know what, I don't know that I see a lot of evidence for the activity of God. It just all kind of feels mundane. And what better reason for you and I to ask God to show us where he is at work in us and then through us. 
We don't pray for spiritual gifting just so we can kind of beat our chest and draw attention to ourselves. That is a way that we get to see and experience and join the redemptive activity of God. And Sam is saying, that's normal. It's not abnormal. It's not exceptional. It's not over the top. That should be the daily experience of a Christian who has the Spirit of God living in them. Now, the purpose of displaying the power of the Holy Spirit is often associated with the more spectacular gifts. And Jeff touched on this last week. Those same gifts are usually the subject of debate between two groups of people, the cessationists, remember those who would say the miraculous gifts ceased after the death of the apostles and the closing of the canon, the the completion of the scriptures. Then there's another group called the continuationists, and those are folks who would say the gifts never ceased to operate within the church. Once they were given, they continued to be useful. Um, Jeff mentioned that last week as church leaders, we fall kind of in the middle, and he used a phrase, open but cautious. There's nothing wrong with that phrase. That can be helpful. There's another phrase I want to introduce you to today that that I love. It's been super helpful for me as I think about how do I think about historically the operation of spiritual gifts. It's called careful continuationism. Careful continuationism. So it is the idea that the gifts have continued, but obviously we've all seen abuses, haven't we? Haven't we seen things that we just go, gosh, that just doesn't seem biblical to me. I'm having a hard time lining that up. So I feel some caution about that. I'm careful about talking about these continuing. I want to make several statements that hopefully will help you, uh, I guess, understand and apply this category of careful continuationism. So first of all, there are certain gifts that are categorized in the New Testament as signs, wonders, and miracles. So throughout the book of Acts, you can see several statements about that. Romans 15, 2 Corinthians 12, and Hebrews 2. Those references are made in each one of those places. Nowhere in the New Testament, and this is what a continuist would say, a continuationist, Um, they would say nowhere in the Bible is it explicitly stated that the gifts ceased with the death of the apostles or the completion of the New Testament. We don't find that anywhere. The New Testament does explicitly tie signs, wonders, and miracles to the authentication of uh, the apostles and of the scriptures. So in other words, those signs and wonders that were done Those were often used to authenticate, like Paul is an apostle of God. John is an apostle of God. Peter is. And then what those guys wrote, that is from God, not just something that they made up on their own. So signs and wonders authenticated that. Now, since the apostles are dead... And the miraculous activity of the church is recorded in Scripture permanently. One could argue that the need for authentication no longer exists. Does that make sense? So like 
It says it in here. It should be, I would never ever have to see a miracle in order to believe that God is who he says he is, that Jesus was who he says he was, that he died and he was buried and he rose again. Like, it's all here. If this is God's word, I wouldn't ever need a miracle to authenticate that. It's in here. So you could argue, that, and that is what a lot of cessationists will go to, is just to say there's no need for them anymore. Having said that, we don't want to limit the activity of... He's God, right? He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He can do anything he wants to. So this is where it's careful continuationist. It's saying God is free to do whatever he wants to do. He may not do it in exactly the same way he did in the first century. It may be that because there is so much authentication in the scriptures, may not be as common, may not be as frequent, but we're not going to limit the activity of God in and through his people, especially when the scriptures don't explicitly say that that is the case. Make no mistake, and this is the most important thing I want you to get from this, based upon the purpose of displaying the Spirit's presence and power, the manifestation of the Spirit, based upon that, every spiritual gift manifests those things. Okay, So it's not just the, spra- the spectacular. It's not just the miraculous. It's not just those things that wow us. When you show mercy to another person in light of having that spiritual gift and activating that, you are displaying God. And that's a beautiful thing. That's exactly what ought to happen. That is just as beautiful and wonderful and spectacular as speaking in tongues or performing a healing of some kind because it's accomplishing God's redemptive work. That's what really matters. So our first purpose is to display the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The second is to meet the needs of our community of faith. Now that may seem obvious, but often when people are talking about spiritual gifts, the focus is on what gifts do I have? So I'm thinking about me, not the recipients of the use of my gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That, it, like he just tells us outright, here's why you have the manifestation of the Spirit in your life. It's for the good of everybody around you, the people that you do life with. And all of these gifts, Paul goes on to say, these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So God has this plan for his church, the body of Christ. And part of the work that he wants to do in meeting the needs of everyone in that is gifting each one of us. Those gifts are not the same. They're not to the same degree um, some may get one, some may get five. Like, there's lots of variety, remember? But all of that is achieving God's redemptive purposes. That phrase, for the common good, I, I thought about enablement for benevolence. Enablement 
for benevolence. It's this idea that you don't deserve it. You got needs of all kinds, so do I. If I'm benevolent toward you, it just means I'm, I am showing acts of kindness to you, which you didn't earn, you don't deserve. That's just what we do because we're family. So our spiritual gifts, as it relates to the needs of the body, those are enabled for benevolence. The one gifted isn't the primary beneficiary of their gift. I can't say that enough. Your gifts are not about you. They're about everybody around you. And I want you to think about this. Um, When I say, whether it's healing or teaching or mercy or administration, our focus tends to be on the the expression of that gift, the exercising of that gift, like I healed somebody, rather than going, somebody was healed. Like that's where the focus ought to be. There was a real need that somebody had, a malady of some kind, and God used a person to meet that need, to bring healing. Teaching is for a lack of all understanding and knowledge. All teaching does is Meets that need, right? So now that person has more knowledge, more understanding than they had before the teacher was exercising their gift. Administration. The only reason that gift exists is because of disorganization, right? So isn't it a beautiful thing when things become organized, coordinated, mobilized for the purposes of God? Regifting is God's design for body life. It's all about giving away what was given to us. That's at the heart of that. Purpose number three, to build up the body of Christ. To build up the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says this, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, and he doesn't say that's a bad thing, but since you're eager... Strive to excel, not in showing off all that God has enabled you to do. Strive to excel in building up the church. Later he goes on to say, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Now just think about that for a minute. What if every one of us, all of the time, made it our aim as we relate to each other to build one another up? Now, the opposite of that is to tear one another down. And we don't necessarily go into anything thinking, I'm going I'm to rip them to shreds, right? No, typically, it's just a lack of awareness. It's a lack of sensitivity. Perhaps it's a feeling of superiority. But we often relate to one another carelessly, even when trying to exercise our gifts, and it happens to tear people down instead of to build them up. The idea here is edification. You've probably heard that word as well. That's spiritual strengthening. Now, here's what I know. Whenever there is comparison or competition or even contempt, things like envy and jealousy, when any of that is at all attached to spiritual gifting, it is impossible 
to build up. It will never happen. Because that just means it's you against me. But when I begin to say, you know what? All that I can bring to you, to this church, to the mission of God is what God gave to me. I have no, there's no place for superiority. There's no place for contempt or comparison. I just go, this is what God gave me. So I'm just going to use what God gave me to build up the people that are around me. If everybody is doing that, the church experiences some glorious, glorious progress. Your spiritual gift is an essential tool for the sanctification or the spiritual formation of God's people. When we get to the end of this series, we're going to look at the target, the horizon for a church that is effectively exercising its spiritual gifts. So the third purpose is to build up, to edify the body of Christ. And then lastly, I'm going to kind of finish where we started. It is to glorify God. I'm going to read this passage to you again and notice where it ends. Peter is certainly talking about gifting. He's trying to help them understand what they are and why they have them. But look where he takes them as it concludes. As each has received a gift, assuming everybody has one, use your gift to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that, here it is, here's the purpose, in order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our gifts are not ever intended to glorify us. They're never meant to highlight just how awesome we are. They're always meant to point everybody's attention to the redemptive activity of God. Your gift comes with an assignment. Uh, We're called stewards of God's varied grace. That means you're not an owner. You're a steward. You're a manager. You've been given something to work with until the owner returns. And uh, as you exercise that, you bring honor to God. Well, let me take you back to the spiritual gift definition that Jeff gave us last week. So he gave us the first half, which again was answering the question, what are spiritual gifts? And I'm going to add to that today why we have them in a definition. So here it is. A spiritual gift is an ability, a working or a power that is given to you freely. That's why it's called a gift. With and by the Holy Spirit. So you get your gift with the Holy Spirit. Now, why do we have them? Here's the second half of the definition. For the purpose of ministering to needs, which is service, so as to build up Christian community in size and depth for the common good. Okay? Let me read that second half again. For the purpose of ministering to needs so as to build up Christian community in size and depth for the common good. Um, 
I loved uh, Kevin and me and Jeff. We were all kind of trading emails and thinking through this definition, and Kevin threw this out, which I love, just using our language. But here's how we might state that definition in our own words. A spiritual gift is an ability freely given and enabled by the Spirit of God for the purpose of cultivating connected followers of Christ. Okay? That's something that we can kind of put to memory. And if we're ever talking about spiritual gifts, we'll know. Everybody has one. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. It exists to build up the body, the church. It's intended to glorify God. And all of that is around this mission of cultivating connected followers of Christ. Last thought as we go into a so what When we value the gift over the gift giver or those who the gift is intended to serve, we violate the core purpose for receiving it. So I want to invite you now to think about these purposes that we've been given. God may even begin to be showing you some gifting. And and again, you don't have to be dogmatic about this. Just... This is a journey. This is a process of discovery. And right now we're just focusing on some instruction to give us some categories, some terms, phrases, and concepts to work with. But begin to ask the Holy Spirit who lives in you to to draw your attention to one of those purposes, maybe to a place where you could focus some attention in the next uh, few weeks going forward. Where might you be more aligned with the purposes of God for spiritual gifting in your life? Take just a minute and ask the Holy Spirit to show that to you. Father in heaven, your church, the bride of Christ, is so beautiful. Uh, We are a mess, but our beauty is um, really attached to the work that you're doing uh, in us and through us. And so we want to celebrate that. We want to be more engaged with that, perhaps, than we are today. And uh, we pray, Father, that you would give us even greater understanding and motivation to use the precious gifts that you have given to us to build up the people that are around us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. We invite you to continue working in us and through us in the days ahead. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.